Okay, let's, let's take our Bibles this morning. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Can I? Can you hear me out there? Okay, just want to make sure that this system's working right. Let's just read verses 1 through 3. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we come to you, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask you to make it clear to us from this scripture what it means to be a Christian the very basic things about what it means to be a Christian I pray Father that we would be able to examine ourselves by it and I pray Lord if we see ourselves as not one we would become one and if we see ourselves as one we would become a sober serious Christian who knows how to live for the Lord Jesus Christ with joy Thank you, Lord, for this time, and I pray in Christ's name, amen. Now, I have already said that when we do start with God and not with ourselves, and we start with God's self-revelation found in the Word of God, that only then, only here, Can a Christian no longer see himself as insignificant or unimportant or ineffectual? The focused energies of God have been spent on redeeming his people. In fact, the Bible says because in Christ we are significant to God. We are, in other words, important. I don't know if you actually see yourself as that as a believer. But we must, that with the Spirit of God present in us, we have the power to pray, to really praise God to His glory. And what I'm saying is that Ephesians, this book, this epistle, this letter, assists us to develop a vital, correct sense of our identity in Christ. Have you ever asked yourself, question, who am I? Who, who am I? When you lose your identity, that is a very terrible time in your life. This epistle really will inform us to understand who we really are as Christians, as Christian people. And then it should help us, it should free us actually from the bondage of, of wrong thinking, even wrong thinking about who we are, about old frustrations about life, about our inabilities when we are understanding who we are. But first, it is important to understand as to its basic characteristics of what it means to be a Christian. Before I go there, I've been reading a book about the U.S. Navy SEALs. And this particular SEAL, Howard Wasden, writes a chapter in, in his book called A Fish Out of Water. In other words, he lost his identity somewhere in his life. And this is what happened. He became a Navy SEAL, went through training, passed, got into SEAL Team Number 2, and then he decided to set his sights high to the highest level of SEALs you can be, SEAL Team Number 6. That is the SEAL team that took out uh, Osama bin Laden. They are a very elite group. They're very highly motivated, highly trained, highly skilled. And he made it into that group. And he decided after in that group he was going to be a Navy SEAL sniper, which is another level up, which is another level of tr difficult training went to the Marine Corps School in Quantico, Virginia to become a, a sniper. 
He finds himself on a mission after becoming a sniper in, in Somalia in 1993. Uh, you know the story of, by the title of Black Hawk Down. He was in that particular battle. And in that battle, he felt like at that point he was never wounded. Uh, and he's been in many difficult situations. Never wounded, and he came to a place where he wasn't even supposed to actually be in the battle. The, the Army Rangers and the Delta Force was supposed to take care of that mission. And he, because he's there, he ends up running a CIA safe house, and he gets pulled into this battle, and now he is a sniper in the middle of uh, a city in Africa and in the middle of the Civil War that because of the warlord there, uh, Adid, who was really starving people to death, 300,000 people had died. The United States was called in to take him out. That was his job, to take him out and take out his lieutenants. Well, they ended up, 160 servicemen ended up going there and were surrounded by 3,000 armed militia. In that particular battle, the Battle of Mogadishu, he got wounded three times in his leg. He came back after that battle. He healed. He went back to his SEAL team and realized he couldn't keep up anymore. So he decided, I can't do this anymore, and he got out of the uh, U.S. Navy and came into civilian life. And when he got into civilian life, he realized that nobody in America cared who he was, what he did, and neither could he explain it to them because many of the missions were secret and private. And so therefore, he saw himself with no identity, didn't know what to do, lost, got lost in himself, came to a point where he felt like he was so depressed that he wanted to take his own life. And of course, all that did change around it. He became a believer. He, he became, he trusted in Christ as his Lord and Savior. I don't know exactly when when that happened, but at the end of the book, he gives all the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ about keeping him alive when many of his uh, men that he was with, and one guy, a born-again Christian, who he says in the book that he's never heard him uh, say a foul word or a curse in his whole life, uh, said he died, and I didn't, and he felt guilty about that. But he finally, through Christ, regained his identity and found his way back into life again. And as we look in a book like Ephesians, Ephesians helps us never... Matter of fact, where you really gain your identity is when you become a Christian. That's when you really understand not only who you are, but why you understand who you are. Not because of what you did or who you are, but because of what Christ did and what Christ makes you. See, that oh, makes all the difference in the world. That gives you the ability to be able to, as we get to Ephesians chapter 6, to put on the whole armor of God, that you're able to stand up like a Christian soldier against the tripwires, the traps, the wiles of the enemy and be able to stand when the smoke clears and the bullets stop flying spiritually you're standing why because it's the lord that's causing you to stand and you know it see identity means everything in the christian walk if you don't know what it is then you won't know what to do so we must not forget that this epistle right here is directed to a particular group of people it is addressed solely to Christians. And it wastes no time in the introduction of this particular letter on describing the ordinary Christian people this letter is addressed. In fact, even though this letter is addressed here to the church at Ephesus, there is strong reason to believe that this was called a circulated Letter. It went to all the churches of Asia Minor. In fact, if you notice in verse number one, it says in the middle of the verse, to the saints who are at Ephesus. Well, that term in Ephesus 
is not in many of the early manuscripts, just leading people to uh, see that this probably was an encyclical letter that was brought to all the churches of Asia Minor. In fact, this letter has circulated down to us in our day, in our time, right now. And the message is just as much for us as it was for them. Now, you know what that means. It means that it is equally true that this letter is addressed to the Christians assembled for worship in the historic village of East Millstone, New Jersey this morning, which you sit. You didn't know that, maybe. Even I was thinking as I was, uh, that if, if we were to change the name uh, of our church, maybe it should be called the Village uh, Community Church, because this is a village that we're in. Well, besides that, the, the, the letter and its message is for us. It's for believers, believers who should learn more and deeper the elevated truths of Scripture, especially about who God is and about who you are. So this letter assumes, it assumes something about its recipients. It assumes by fact that the members of these churches have something already. And what do they have? And the reason why they have something is because they have received the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of the gospel that brought the message of salvation to them, and so it assumes that they are Christians. And this morning, often when I preach, I assume you are a Christian. I assume that. There's some assumption in preaching the Word of God. So you and I need to ask ourselves today, are we like what the Apostle Paul is describing in this one verse? Are we like that? Are, are we, can we put ourselves in verse number one after I get done explaining it? See, are we like these early Christians? See, this brings me to the title this morning of my message, and it's what it means to be a Christian. That's, that's a very important statement what it means to be a Christian. So let's look at our text and examine, uh, actually there's three basic terms that Paul brings out right in the beginning of the introduction of the letter, and sometimes we seem to skip over introductions and endings of books and just pass through it, but here it's, it's very important that we don't do that. Uh, or don't do it in any biblical book because it is important what he's writing here to you and I. And he uses three basic terms uh, to describe what it means to be a Christian. Now, if you look at the first one, it's very simple. Verse number one, he says, uh, uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And then it says this, to the what? To the saints. So he's writing, calling his recipients saints. Now, that designation, may, you may think, does not fit you. You may be thinking, like have some have said, it's like putting a, a diamond in the earring of a sow's ear, meaning it just, just doesn't fit. It's, it's not going to be very long before the pig starts rolling around in the mud, greatly diminishing the glory of the diamond earring. Nonetheless, you are saints because the basic meaning of the term is to be set apart. It, it means to be separated from something for something or to something. The very word means God may, is setting you apart to be holy. The word saint really comes from a Latin word, sanctus, that means holy one. Now, we may think of holy ones in several ways in our minds. The first one is this, that there's an outside element and an inside element, that holy ones in Scripture were different people. In fact, for, by example, the nation of Israel. It was a nation among other nations, but Israel has always been different. In fact, they had one God, 
who chose them for his own possession. This is what it says in Deuteronomy. Listen, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possessions out of all the people on the face of the earth. You know what that makes them? Because God chose them, it makes them different. But not only different outwardly in this sense that God gave them visible signs. He gave them the pillar of cloud by day and he gave them the pillar of fire by night just saying to his people listen I'm among you and you can see that I'm among you and then also God gave them dietary laws they ate different food than the nations around them why because God wanted them to be different and he says this in the word of God in the Leviticus for I am the Lord your God consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy and then he goes on to say This is the law of regarding the animal and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the edible creature and the creature which must not be eaten. In other words, even in their diet, they were different. Why? Because they were called to be different. That's what it means. They're set apart. They're holy. They're different than anybody else. They had different holidays, and their holidays were often to remember what God had done for them. They had the priesthood and the sacrificial system to be able to approach God, to be cleansed of sin's defilement. The other nations didn't have that. They they were polytheistic. They had many gods, and their gods were made of stone and wood, and, and they carried them along with them when they went somewhere. This God of Israel was completely different, and his people that he called were completely different. He gave them different laws. He gave them different precepts and statutes and regulations. All these made Israel quite different than all the other nations, and these were a separated people in the world, but not of the world. They were not like the other pagan nations. They were a holy people. It's the same way. The Christian is a person who has been separated from the world's clutches and from Satan's claim. And the Christian has been brought into the family of God by the rescuing power of the gospel. That's they already have that's why they're christians like it says in corinthians therefore come out from among them and be separate says the lord that's the same thing right we're going to be different because we're believers we are called out by god and separated from the world it's like what he says in galatians paul kind of says the same things in in chapter 1 in verse 4 where he says who gave himself for our sin so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God and Father so in the word of God the Bible is saying listen we're set apart outwardly but we're also set apart more importantly inwardly that's why we're saints too something's happened inside of us and what has happened we've been cleansed on the inside We've been cleansed from an evil conscience. We've been cleansed from all our guilt of sin and all the pollution that sin brings into one's life. And we've been cleansed, and we know it, by the blood of Christ. So a separation that has taken place in our mind, in our outlook, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, in your heart, in your conversation, in your behavior, that you are essentially a different person when you become a Christian. That the Christian is not a worldly person. They are not someone governed by the world or its mind or its outlook. No, we are taken out of the world, and now our minds are going to be transformed by the Word of God to be what? To be different. To be God's people. To be saints. Saints are actually described, saints actually describe something that has happened to us already, what we have been set apart for by God, for we are made his and we are his property and we are a holy people. 
Now, I said in the first point that Christians are regular people who are saints. Now, I I said that for a reason, because the the whole understanding of saint uh, has really had great distortion connected to that word that that has been given to it. The, The Roman Catholic teaching has said that saints are those few really whose spiritual excellence and merit caused them to be set before the church as models and intercessors. That's from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. According to Rome, these saints pray in heaven for those who call on them. We can, they say, and should ask them to intercede for us and offer their merits for us to God. That's what the current Roman Catholic Catholicism says. But this is altogether wrong. It is altogether a distortion of the term saint. And yet many of us who come from a background like that have understood it that way. And the result is that people pray to all kinds of patron saints. They pray to Mary. They pray to Peter and Paul. They pray to Christopher and and so on and so forth. And so they venerate the saints to a status equal to deity, which amounts to their worship in the place of God. And of course, according to Scripture, that is idolatry, and God hates idolatry. And that's completely wrong thinking. So we have to st- let's stick to the clear understanding found in the Word of God where the Bible says in Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, right? Anybody you pray to, you give them the title of deity. That is idolatry. The only one you could pray to is God through Christ. Christ is God. And so therefore, the only one who you should pray to is God himself. See, you should never think of saints as superior Christians who offer their merits for us to God. No, all Christians are saints. Yes, ordinary, regular, sinful wrestling with the flesh Christians like you and me were saints. Get that through your head because that's your identity. If you don't see that, you can't move on. You can't move on. Every Christian is a saint. You cannot be a Christian without being a saint and you cannot be a saint and a Christian without being separated in some Radical sense from the world system. God pulls you out of darkness into light. And when you're in light, you see things much differently before you didn't see things at all. Now you see things. You see who you are, what God has done, and your life becomes different. And you gain now an identity and a stability in life you never had before because of Jesus. Maybe we get a clearer understanding why the Apostle Paul spent so much time teaching in a place like Ephesus with its sorcery and magic and the prideful arrogance they had in the worship of Diana, which was idolatry. Everything in Ephesus and the churches of Asia Minor were opposed to God, just like this present day. Everything's opposed to God today, right? Everything. Lifestyles, government, policies, uh, you know, businesses. God's just getting kicked out of everything today. That's just the nature in which we live. But you know what? It really doesn't matter in the sense when it comes to believers. So it's, it's the, it is in this very pagan society, Paul preaches the gospel and opened the spiritually blind eyes of people and turned the hopelessness of individuals into sainthood. Isn't that what the Lord did with us? Yes, if you are a Christian, well then, according to Scripture, you are a saint. And it is the Lord who has done this, not you. So you see, it is vital for you to know your new identity in Christ Jesus. You can 
no longer think, yes, I, I know I'm a Christian, but I, I'm far from being a saint. God says, now your wife may tell you that, or your husband may tell you that. And on that level, it may be true. But it's still not true. See, that's my point. If you're a husband and your wife and you're a, a, a person in Christ, you are a saint. You, that means you're, you're set apart to God. You're different. And therefore, your difference is going to come out because the Spirit of God living in you. God says you already are Christians different outwardly and different inwardly. Now, there's a second thing he says in this passage of Scripture. And if you notice, he says, to the saints who are Ephesus and who are faithful. They are faithful. All right, so Christians are regular people who are faithful. Now, this word faithful means really believing. Or another way to put it, those who live and come to God by means of faith, but then they live believing in God every day of their lives. In other words, these are people who are exercising faith, people who believe the gospel and they are obeying the message concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. They understand that he is the Son of God. They know that he is God's only way of salvation. They know that God has sent Jesus to the cross, that God put all our sins on him and punished them in him, and they are living each day in light of that truth. In a sense, they're preaching the gospel to themselves every day of their lives. So truths like these are, should be central in the life of all believers and truths that center in and on the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. People believing Jesus came into the world as the God-man to taste death for every person, for them, that Jesus' blood and death are the things that saved them, that he died personally in their place, that he personally reconciled them to God, that he rose from the grave to give them life now and eternal life and will someday raise their bodies from the grave. See, the Bible is very plain and clear that the whole essence of the Christian position is dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You just can't get away from that. You should never want to get away from that. This is the thing that separates the Christian faith from all other religions. That their founders, while important, are not absolutely essential to them. If Buddha never existed, you could still have Buddhism. If Muhammad never lived, you can still have Islam. In other religions, it is the teaching that matters. The person is not essential. Other persons might have done it equally well, and the teaching would remain unaffected, but it is not the case with the Christian faith. The Christian faith, Christianity, is Christ himself. He is the center. He is not only central, he is absolutely vital, and therefore we have to see that we are concerned primarily and always with him. So many who call themselves Christians are not Christian. That is, Christ as a person is not essential to them at all. They can take him or leave him. But in the word of God, that is not true. That Christ is central. That he is the center of what we believe, that our faith is not necessarily about facts and doctrine. It is, but it is about the facts and doctrine about the person of Christ. So see, we can have a relationship not with knowledge, we have a relationship with the person who died in our place, who rose from the grave, and we are going to be with him in glory forever. Forever. See, see, we have a relationship with Christ. So let me just bring to your attention several elements of saving faith. And just, just kind of prod you along. There are several things that happen when someone comes to a knowledge of saving faith. The first thing is there are facts. It's not just mouthing words. It's, uh, and it's not, of course, just a second thing. It would be assent or belief to the facts that 
we have to believe what the facts are about Christ. It's, and it's not just a momentary ascent where maybe you uh, an, ended up being sick or in the hospital and you momentarily say, Lord, if you get me out of here, if you make me well, I'll, I'll serve you, I'll walk with you, I'll go to church, whatever you say. And when things go back to normal or right, and you have no more problems, at least for the moment, then you forget all about Christ. All right? Or it's not just a mental ascent. It's not just facts in your head that doesn't affect your life. If you're going to be a saint, you have to be different, and you're different because the Spirit of God indwells you. So the Apostle Paul was concerned that the listeners continued steadfast in the faith, and he, he brings this out in a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians. And I'd like you to turn there. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want you to notice something that Paul says to his the recipients of this letter, and he says very clearly, actually, in this letter, that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 2, and kind of wondering if they are holding firm to the truth that they receive concerning the gospel, or would it show that what they believed was in vain or empty? Look what it says in verse number 2. In the, in the middle of the verse, it, see the the word if, it says, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now he just gave, in verse number one, the gospel, that Jesus died uh, and that he was buried and that he rose again. That's the basic essential to the gospel. But he, here he's asking the question, listen, in 1 Corinthians 15 too, listen, did you really believe did you really believe the facts where it came down to your heart, where you had a change in your life, where you became holy, where you became a saint? Because that word if is in the first class condition, and it assumes for the sake of argument that the Corinthians are standing erect in the way of salvation. See, Paul believes that they already are holding firmly to the word of God and therefore saved. So the sentence, otherwise or unless you have believed in vain, means, means the gospel assures salvation unless, unless the supposed faith that they had was actually empty it was, or it was worthless and therefore unenduring. It didn't last. He says, if you believed in Jesus Christ, it lasts. If it doesn't last, you didn't believe. That's what he's saying. Because if you really believe, it lasts forever. You understand that? It lasts forever. It's not just a phase in your life. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's something radically that God has done inside of you. He has changed you. He's helped you to understand where you are. So another way of saying it, unless you believed haphazardly, there's two defects possible in this passage that they may not be holding fast to what they taught, were taught from Scripture. Or secondly, they may have received it so hastily that they did not comprehend it, like Steve was saying this morning, when, when you have a lot of music and people stir up your emotions, and then they say, if you want to believe in Jesus, come forward, and they have this simple prayer that you pray, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, you say, okay, if you raise your hand and you prayed that prayer, you're a believer. No, not so. You know when, you're a, you know you're, when you know you're a believer? When you go through times of trial, and all of a sudden you're depending on Christ that you're growing in Christ, that you desire his word, you desire his will, that all things are passing away, all things are becoming new. Why? You're different. You're a saint. You're separated to God. God's spirit's in you. You are not what you used to be. See, that's what a believer is, and that endures forever. That is a faith that is not in vain. They believed in vain or without cause or thoughtlessly or without proper consideration. Could it be that the conversion of some of the Corinthians was superficial and unreal? See, if our belief is only on the surface, outward, without inward transformation, if no sign of victory over sins 
are growing from the soil of our lives, we have believed in vain. In other words, the scripture is saying that to receive the gospel is to receive the resurrected Lord which gives life, which transforms the heart and the mind and the will and the soul and gives you a sure hope that you are alive spiritually and that he will raise your body into a spiritually transformed and imperishable body someday from the context of the Corinthians. See, so he is saying, listen, it's not just the facts. It's not just thinking about the facts about, I believe Jesus died, he, he was buried and rose again, then I'm a believer. No, but that there's a personal commitment to the facts. That there, it involves the heart as well as the head. That there's an agreement and an understanding that you are a sinner, that you're under God's condemnation and wrath, and the only one who could rescue you from that is Christ himself. And so therefore you come to understand that. And then you realize, well, how can I be saved? Well, faith and repentance. Faith towards God and uh, repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is what it says in Scripture, that Jesus now becomes my only remedy for my sin. That by faith he brings us to Jesus Christ and lays hold, we lay hold of him for salvation and then we trust in Jesus as a living person for forgiveness of my sin and your sin right for eternal life that Jesus is my savior he's did he's done this for me and see it becomes very personal so see if you do not obey the gospel you do obey something else if you do not love the truth you indeed delight in something else. There is no neutrality, no neutral position at all on this point. There are only two alternatives. Either you are believing a lie or you are believing the truth. That's it. There's no other options. See, some think that just because they have read the Bible... They have given some time and labor and money to the cause of religion. Or that they're involved some way in that. Or that they attend church once in a while, a couple times a year, that they are a Christian. But if they have never ceased relying on themselves and their works and their goodness, then as a result, they have never truly been saved. Because that's not how you get saved. You get saved by bringing all your filthiness to Christ, all your dirt, all your sin to Christ, and bring it to the cross and say, Lord, this is who I am, but this is who you are. You're the Savior, and you didn't come to save the righteous. You came to save sinners just like me. See, you can be saved. you understand that? Anybody could be saved. See, so, see, Christians are saints who are believing this, not just in a mere profession that happened one time 10 years ago, but every day of their life. They're believing it. They stand on it. Their confidence for eternity stands on it, and it's all wrapped up in the person. So those who live the faith continue in the faith. That's what it means, that they were faithful. They continued through the cults in Ephesus, through all the false teaching in Ephesus, through the rejection of their family because they became a Christian, through all the stuff they had to go through, they continued in sticking to Christ. See, they were faithful. In other words, they began a relationship with Christ and continued in it. They stand firm in faith, just like a tree stands well in well-rooted when it's well rooted in the ground, it stands firm. Winds can't knock it over. Nothing can knock it over. They know God. They're saints. They're different. They're faithful. And they're living what they believe. And what does that mean? They're fellowshipping with God. They're walking in his light. They're identifying and confessing sin to him. And they are keeping his commandments. And they love him. They love him. And so that's what a believer is. 
But there's one other thing, one last thing I want to mention. In, back in Ephesians chapter 1, he says this, not only are they saints, not only, not only are Christians regular people who are saints, Christians are regular people who are faithful and continue, but they are regular people who are in Christ. You notice what it says there? If it doesn't say in Christ, is really the not the proper translation of the passage of Scripture. It's the term in Christ Paul uses there in verse number one, and it means believers are no longer in someone, but in union with someone else. Being in him, we must, in other words, be in Christ and abide in Christ, or else we are not saved in, in the Lord. Another way we could say it, it is uh, we are in union with Christ. Being in union with Christ is what makes us Christians. The Apostle John said it like this, but whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected by this. We know that we are in him. Why? Because we can love God. We can love other people like we never could before. And then again in John, he says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ, that is the true God and eternal life. Now, I have to mention something else at this particular point. Before you, anyone is in Christ, they were in someone else. They were in Adam. Are we not all born in Adam, the Bible says? And has not the condemnation of Adam passed on to us because we're all sinners? So see, the first Adam in the Garden of Eden violated God's command and we became sinners. By his act of disobedience, he plunged the whole human race into the burden of the pollution of sin and guilt so the scripture tells us, it tells us that in Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, for as in Adam all die. The reason why we die physically is because we're in Adam. The reason why we die spiritually is because we're in Adam. And if we do not come to know Christ, we will die eternally. That's the second death. Why? Because we remain in Adam. But... When we come to Christ, we are no longer in Adam, but we are in Christ. So therefore, a, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ. In Christ Jesus, actually, it says that. There's no condemnation anymore to those in Christ. We're safe in Christ. We're secure in Christ. We're saints in Christ. We're faithful in Christ. It means for believers that there has been a significant change in sphere and position, and we're a new person and a new creation. And Paul, again, brings this out in Corinthians, where without turning there, you know the passage, most of you, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is what? In Christ. He is a new creation, all things passed away, behold, new things have come. See, this is what happens to a believer. This is what happens to us. This is our identity. Our, and this identity cannot change. We can think wrongly about it, but the Bible point of the scripture is that, no, this is who you are. Live it. And live it with gusto and live it with the power of God behind you. And you will be effective in your life and you will be strong in the Lord and the power of his might if you learn who you are. This is an important shift here in the stance and the change of your, the sphere of your life because the apostle is viewing all people as either in Adam or in Christ. In other words, all who are in Christ are a new creation and all who are in Adam are still linked to the old things the old things being the old Adam, 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 Adamic. 
I'm trying to get this word out here. The old nature. Let me put it like that. The Adam's old nature. Just not coming. And so we're still linked to the old things if we're still in Adam. We're still linked to the old habits, to the old way of thinking, to the old corruptions in the world, to all our sinful being. We're still connected to that if we are in Adam. And so those who are now associated with Christ are in Christ and find themselves in a new position. They find themselves in a new sphere that they're uh, a new creature. And a new creature points right back to Genesis in which we are pointed at what God did when he created the world. God is not simply patching up the old. He is creating a new. The old things are discarded and the old things are passing away. It means to, to cast them aside and let them no longer be part of your life. The old things do not become new at conversion. They are discarded, and other things take their place as newly created. So Paul says in that passage, Behold! And behold, kind of like, it's like a surprising statement. Behold! I want to, in other words, something's happened to me, man. I'm, I'm a new believer. I'm in Christ. I found faith in Christ. It's like saying, listen, take a look at what happened to me, man. All is new in my life. And because I met Christ as my Lord and Savior, I have new things, a new life. I have new work. I have a new destination. I have a new standing. I, everything is new because of Christ. Everything. And now, believers regenerated and for, forgiven as we are, are summoned to practice holiness. That's the rest of what he get, deals with in Ephesians after chapter 3. This is how you practice holiness. In fact, the whole section in Ephesians 4.17 to 5.14 shows us what living a holy life looks like. A life that honors and gives glory to the head Jesus Christ because God is holy and God's people must be holy also. So what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be a saint. It means to be faithful and continue in the faith and, and in learning what that means by learning the word of God. It means to be in Christ, no longer in Adam. That means... So are you like what the scripture is describing. Are you, are you like this? Is this you? Are you like these early Christians? Is this your identity now? If it's not, and it may not be, but it doesn't mean it cannot be. Because this morning, if you haven't come to Jesus, today's the day to be saved. Today is the day to deal with facts and to see where you are, to know that Christ is the only way and then to commit yourself and trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, for eternal life. Today may be the day of your salvation. But if you are a believer, then I pray that you will grow more in your sainthood, that you will grow more in your faithfulness and your continuance in Christ, and you will grow more to understand what it actually means to be in Christ, no longer in Adam, no longer under his, under his condemnation at all whatsoever, that you will grow more and more in your understanding of the knowledge of God and your new identity in Christ. That's where we get stability from. That's where we get the power to live the Christian life from understanding that and what God's done for us. And then we just go on and live. And God does great things through his people when they understand those things. So where are you today? I pray that you could honestly look at yourself to say I am or I'm not. If you're not 
trust Christ. If you are, continue. Don't give up. Don't sit back. Don't get lazy. Continue to press on. Amen? Now this morning we do have our Lord's table. So the men who are serving, please come forward. And as they come forward, I want to always remind you about the Lord's table and its significance. And as they come, the Lord's table really is a continuing sign of belonging to God's people. All right? Now, the most important meaning of the Lord's table is that it's a remembrance. We're to remember what Christ has done. It is a proclamation. And the gospel integrity of the, those who partake of the elements are, of course, in Corinthians, there was a strong uh, correction made that we should never allow those who are unrepentant or those in unrepentant sin to partake of the Lord's table. And so therefore, they ought to repent of their sin, make relationships right, and then partake of the Lord's table. And then also the participants of the Lord's table are those who are repenting sinners. That's, that's who partake of the Lord's table. We're not perfect. Yes, we're saints. We're faithful. We're in Christ, but we're not perfect. All right? And so we come to the Lord's table as participants, as repentant sinners. And then we also come to the Lord's table with a responsibility and that responsibility is to celebrate the Lord's table regularly and also rightly. And so as we do that, the members of God's church uh, who come have evidenced in some way saving faith, that they know what they're doing, they know why they're coming. And so if you have not believed in Christ yet as your Lord and Savior, please do not partake of the elements. If you have, then of course partake of the elements. And, um, and then enjoy the privilege it is to sit at the table with the Lord at a piecemeal because of what he's done in behalf of believers. So let's just take a few minutes now, prepare ourselves to partake of the elements, and then I'll come and read the scriptures, and then we'll uh, finish the ordinance this morning.